0: to me, myself, and Millie. I'm your host, Millie Brooks, and this is episode 47. Well, you guys, the time has come to rebrand the podcast. I know, I know. It's been something that I've been sitting on for a while. And honestly, I'm just not feeling very drawn to the pop culture and hot gossip theme anymore. It was great while it lasted, and we all have to start somewhere, right? But the podcast created a heartbeat of its own and went in a different direction, so I've decided to make a permanent change and make Me, Myself, and Millie a podcast all about fertility and different pathways to parenthood, hosted by yours truly, infertility sleuth, Millie Brooks. Ugh, transitions. They're so hard, aren't they? But I have a feeling in the long run that the podcast will have a deeper impact if we stick with the theme of infertility. So on that note, today we are going to talk to Parajat Deshpande about managing trauma and grief after infertility and loss. Parajat is a perinatal mind-body wellness counselor, high-risk pregnancy expert, speaker, and author who guides women to quickly and effectively release their stress during their high-risk pregnancy so that they can manage their complications and give their baby a strong start to life. Parajat is also the host of the popular podcast, Delivering Miracles, You should check that out, that discusses the real raw side of family building, including infertility, loss, high-risk pregnancy, bed rest, prematurity, and healing once a baby comes home. So that's a little bit about Barajat, but before we get to that conversation, please take 30 seconds today to rate, review, and subscribe to me, myself, and Millie. If you have 60 seconds, please write us a review in the comments section of Apple Podcasts. Your support really helps the show to thrive, and your words carry so much weight, Um, and it all helps you know, get the message out that people are not alone when going through infertility. Um, It's all so appreciated. So do that today and um, I'll love you forever. Thanks, guys. Welcome, Barajat. How are you doing? It's great to have you on the show. Thanks
1: so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Um, Well, let's first start with how we got connected, which is through Mira Kumbani. How do you
1: know Mira? Oh, gosh. I was thinking about this. I think I've known her my entire life. I could not pinpoint one moment when I met her. I do know we went to school together And prior to that, when we were younger, we were also doing Indian classical dance together. We were in the same class. Um, But I think I've just known her my entire life. That's amazing. That's such a gift. I'm so jealous.
0: I just met Mira last year and like, oh, she's like my soul sister. I know she's amazing. She's so amazing. Well, shout, shout out to Mira for putting us together today. Yes. Um, yay. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got into this world of perinatal counseling and a little bit of your own journey?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I am a high-risk pregnancy specialist and a somatic trauma professional and I do this work because I realized uh how Oops. much Oops. sorry about that.
0: Sorry about that. Oh God, we're <laughs> off to a good terrible start please continue please continue uh
1: so um i'm a high-risk pregnancy specialist and a somatic trauma professional and i got into this work because of my own personal experiences with infertility multiple losses a very high-risk pregnancy and an extremely preterm delivery my son was born at 24 weeks and five days And then we spent many months in the NICU and then many years on lockdown after he came home. And it was that whole experience where I realized my training in clinical psychology was not enough to support women like me who were fighting to create our family and fighting to bring a baby home. And so that's how I ended up doing this work today. So I work with women during a high-risk pregnancy before and also after helping them to get pregnant and stay pregnant specifically, how to tap into the power of their bodies and just our physiology in order to combine with the medical interventions that we may need in order for them to stay pregnant and reduce their risk of complications and preterm delivery.
0: Wow. Wow. So how many
1: children do you have right now? I have two in my arms and we've got five in our hearts. Oh, I love
0: that. I'm I'm just loving how you phrased it like that. And I'm hoping that like people who are listening to this episode feel like they can they can steal that phrase from you.
1: Yeah. If that's I, all right. Absolutely. I didn't even make it up. I, I remember reading it someplace on somebody's <laughs> blog and I went that's how I wanna answer that question. I love it. Sometimes saying two doesn't quite get the whole picture of what's going
0: yeah. on. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Now, something I think that um, is important to mention, um, which I didn't quite understand. So I um, just completed my first round of IVF. And um, I assumed that because I was an... IVF patient that when I got pregnant that I would be a high ri- in the high risk pregnancy zone but my doctor corrected me not all IVF pregnancies are high risk is that what you've
1: heard is that yeah. your yeah. yeah yeah absolutely not all IVF pregnancies are high risk and I think that transition can be challenging because as an IVF patient, we're so used to having so much extra care and we get so familiar with our fertility clinic and we know them so well. And then all of a sudden we kind of get sent into the general population of everything's just fine now. And it might be, every you might have a healthy pregnancy, baby's healthy, there aren't any complications. You may not necessarily be at risk of complications. And yet that shift in the kind of care that we receive can be quite jarring for a lot of fertility patients.
0: Yeah, it is kind of a transition, isn't it? Totally. Um, Well, what do you think um, our society gets wrong about infertility and loss?
1: How much time do we have? (laughs) (laughs)
0: You have the floor. Take as much time as you need.
1: Oh, my goodness. There's so much. There's so much. I mean, I love how much more conversation there is around infertility and loss. It's becoming more normalized, so much more than even just five, six years ago, which is Wonderful and amazing. So appreciative of people who have large platforms who are willing and open to share their stories and their experiences and all of that. And so many organizations that are advocating uh, for families like ours. And there's just so much, kind of, I think, ingrained in culture that is so counter to the biology of what. Is part of infertility and loss. Um, I think the idea that you can quote unquote just relax and get pregnant is one that drives me nuts. Because and and this is me saying this as somebody who is specializing in stress physiology, that advice does not follow biology. It's it it doesn't work. <laughs> so for so many reasons, it drives me nuts that this is what people say so frequently. Um, I think in line with that too, is the idea that you can replace the a life or the potential of life with another life. Uh, and what I mean by that is if you lose an embryo, let's say it doesn't survive thaw or you transfer it and you miscarry really early or you miscarry late or it doesn't matter, where, wherever that loss happens, well, you could just try again. Sure, maybe the new life that you'll try for is not a replacement for the life that you lost. And I think that really hits home for me also on a personal level is it's not just about, well, just adopt or just try again. Any, I think really anything that starts with a just is probably <laughs> terrible yeah. advice to we give. We need
0: to take that out <laughs> of our vocabulary as a society.
1: Exactly. <laughs> And so I think I'd really like to hit that home is just, is that when there is the loss of a life or a potential of life, that it's not replaceable with a new life. And so even though, and and this is why I answered the question that I did, is yes, I've got two amazing children at home. And actually, if you look at our life from the outside, we, I have one boy, one girl, I literally have a white picket fence in our new house. Like, it's just from the outside, you're like, nailed it. It's a pretty picture. Yes, (laughs) yes but behind the scenes you don't know and no nobody knows and and it's not necessarily your responsibility to educate everybody certainly not and so if you're hearing these stories of people um to be really mindful of that there might be more than there what they're sharing and there might be more than what you can see from the outside
0: i love that i love that there's there's just always you never know the struggle that's really going on behind closed doors do you totally Um, Well, in your podcast, Delivering Miracles, you talk about the trauma that accompanies the infertility journey. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah. So I'll start with this. Trauma is not based in the event. So just because you went through IVF and I went through IVF, that does not make IVF inherently traumatic. It is how the event is encoded in each of our bodies that makes that an experience of trauma. And so we don't we we like to think about it from a very individual perspective that it's not necessarily IVF that's traumatic or fertility treatment that's traumatic or preterm birth that's traumatic. It is what was happening in your body at that time when it was happening. And that's why there's no one thing that I can say this is the part of the fertility journey that is traumatic for everyone because there is nothing. But from my experience of working with clients, it's really any number of things. It can be the, all the ultrasounds, it can be the injections, it can be the weight. It can be the many, many moments of waiting and uncertainty. It can be the losses, whether that's a death loss or a non-death loss that accompanies the fertility and infertility journey. There's so many different aspects of it. And what happens is whatever that moment or moments were, your body goes into survival mode because something feels dangerous. And I can tell you from my personal experience, my first loss was due to a ruptured ectopic, which was actually life-threatening. And so when we did IVF, the idea of getting pregnant again was terrifying because the last time I was pregnant, I almost died. And so things like that are encoded as dangerous. And if we stay in that danger mode, if we stay in that survival mode, our nervous system kind of becomes frozen in that state of fight, flight, or freeze. And in that frozen state, that's what we experience as trauma. And so, again, just to kind of reiterate, it's not the event that causes that. It is when you were going through it, did something feel dangerous, and then were you frozen in that state? Um, Sometimes we are able to discharge that survival energy, and then that's not encoded as trauma. But sometimes we get frozen up there, and that's what uh, we consider to be trauma related to the infertility journey.
0: Mm, That's so... That's real I really like how you're phrasing it. Um because it it it's hard to sort of encompass it in and it well, it's hard to say that one whole thing is traumatic for everybody. Totally. Right? To put a blanket statement on that, not a great idea. Exactly. But like, you know, the first night I remember taking doing my shots, like just seeing myself like, stab myself with something sharp, was it It just, like, something really happened in my body, you know? Um, so it can be different for everyone. Yep. Right? Totally. Totally. Um, well, how can people manage the grief and stress after a miscarriage?
1: Yeah, it's a really great question. I would start by saying... Don't. We don't want to manage it. That's not our goal at all. The grief, the stress, the anxiety, the traumatic stress, whatever is encompassed with a miscarriage or a loss in general um, is not something that we need to manage. And I think kind of going back to your earlier question of what we get wrong, that could be one of them too. We can add that on to that question. Uh, Is our job is not to control it and not to manage it. One of the things about grief, I love, this is going to sound strange, but I love working with grief <laughs> because our bodies know how to digest it. Like it, like how it, our bodies know how to digest food. We, we eat and then our body just kind of kicks in and goes, all right, I know what to do with this for the most part. And same thing with grief. Our body knows what to do with it. And so our job is not to manage it. It is to get out of the way and let our bodies do what they know they need to do to process that grief. Now, what I will say is that there is a point at which that grief can get stuck uh, or it's not as easily digestible, so to speak. And that's when the grief is tied to a traumatic loss, if the loss itself was encoded as a trauma. And in which case you can imagine, if you just visually kind of imagine this, your, your nervous system freezes and so the rest of your body kind of freezes in that state too. And so there isn't that movement, so to speak, as we expect with the grief digestion, so to speak, and and everything just kind of gets stuck. And that's when we see the grief tied to losses as this like recurring, just crying all the time and all you're left with at the end is just puffy eyes and you feel exhausted, but you don't feel better. Or you start to avoid places that remind you of the loss or you don't like to talk about it or you brace yourself anytime the topic comes up. Those are all signs that the grief is tied to a trauma. And so we've got to address the trauma first and then the grief will, it will pass through us. Uh, Grief is like waves in the ocean the waves come and they go and at the beginning they're intense and they're strong and they're frequent and that is how it's supposed to be grief is supposed to be painful and it sucks and it and and it's awful and I say that because we have such a tendency to go oh this feels really bad I don't want to feel it and I get I totally get that and also it that's how it is at the beginning and it does, dissipate. The more you allow those waves to come, your body is digesting it. And over um, time and the allowance of your body to digest, it does get better. That's beautiful. I love the wave
0: metaphor. It's really great. Um, And I also, you know, I can really relate to the grief feeling icky and you wanting it to not feel that way. And you just want to expel it. You're like, um, and for me personally, um, I want to try to control it too and make it look a certain way. Right. Totally. How can we, how can we control our grief less? Maybe.
1: You know, it is, I find that the best way to do that is when you feel safe enough to handle and manage. uh, Those are not great words. Let me say that again. It's really when you feel safe enough to feel through the waves. And that could be safe. You've got to feel safe in your body. You've got to feel safe with the people around you. And you've got to feel safe in your environment. And when you've got those three, then you're not bracing for, quote, unquote, like a a bear attack, which is how I kind of talk a lot about stress and trauma. You're not preparing for that attack. You are kind of like you're on on the surfboard on the waves and you're just lying there and you're going, all right, here we go. Here's another one. And you just let it come and go. And you ride that wave and it is unpleasant and it is awful. And also you trust that it is a wave, which means it will come down and it will stop. And you really don't have to do a whole lot for it, but you've got to feel safe first.
0: Totally. I love that. Talk about the bear attack. I'm just loving your analogies. I was just realizing
1: how many different analogies I've said.
0: I love it. I love, I love it. Like, talk to me about the bear attack. Because, like, I can relate to that. Like, there's something that happens in your body when I even hear bear attack.
1: Totally yes. So uh, this is actually the maybe the original analogy I had. I have it written in my book, Pregnancy Brain. But essentially, it describes the the biological reaction we have to something scary and something that uh, could be potentially life threatening, right? And so I describe it like, let's say you're out camping. And you are having a wonderful time. Everything's going great. And then you hear some rustling in the leaves. What's the first thing that we do? We look around at everybody around us, whether even – and even if we're camping alone, which I don't know why we'd be doing, but maybe we are. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, we look at even our strangers. We we turn to each other and we go, did you hear that? Did you hear that? What was that? I don't know. And then now as a collective, we're looking in that direction and going – Okay, what was that, right? And if it's nothing, then we all just kind of look at each other and go, ha, great, good one. All right, have a nice night. And we move on. We have this this completion of the cycle, right? We were alert for a while, and then we completed that cycle. Now, let's say we all come together as a collective. We're looking. We're all kind of in that tense, like uh, anticipatory state of what's happening, is what's going on, what's that rustling? And let's say the bear comes out of the, the bushes, and we see the bear. What happens at that point? There are no thoughts, there are no, um, there's no time to think about anything, to process anything, to have a perspective, any of those kind of cognitive tools that we have, it doesn't happen. Our body actually shuts down parts of our brain that are non-essential for survival and ramps up the parts of our brain and our body that are essential to keep us alive, including all the parts of our body that would be required to either fight the bear or to run from the bear. And that's all that matters in that moment. And so we'll go with the majority of us will probably run from the bear. And so we get mobilized and we go and we're running and we're running and we're running until we maybe find a safe cave. We hang out there, catch our breath, we check, check around, like, do we still hear it? What's going on? And then we keep running until we get to our car and then we go home, right? And that analogy is designed to show you the, the physiological cycle of stress. Stress is not an event. It is not a moment. It is an actual physiological chain reaction that happens at a cellular level. When we identify a threat, our body goes into survival mode, and then we have to dispel that energy to keep us alive. Now, how does that apply to infertility or pregnancy? Well, sometimes things like the fertility needles, the fertility of medication needles, or the ultrasounds, or being pregnant on its own can feel like a bear is chasing you. And so where do you go? Because there's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. It's happening in your body. You can't hand it off for five minutes to get a break. And the reason that I talk about this so much is be- especially in this very physical, visceral experience of fertility treatments and pregnancy, we have to find a way to complete that stress cycle. If you can imagine trauma, as we talked about before, that's the moment of being frozen as if you are running away from the bear all day, every day, constantly. And there's no come down On the other side and that's what we've got to do is bring that back down because otherwise that survival energy it doesn't disappear it doesn't go away just because you hit a milestone in pregnancy or just because you get a positive pregnancy test it doesn't go away because you get to hold your wonderful you know full-term healthy baby it doesn't go away when your baby becomes one or five or 15. that survival stress that survival energy that's required to help you run from the bear stays inside until you discharge it. And the and the reason why I do this work is because we know that that survival stress, that survival energy from running away from the bear can act as a risk factor for pregnancy complications and preterm delivery. And that's what is so important for me to teach women how to do, bring that nervous system back into that safe mode, discharge that energy. And then you see all these other parts of your body kind of come back into alignment. Blood pressure comes down and blood glucose levels even out, contractions stop, and we can actually extend pregnancy that way. And that, I feel, is the missing piece in prenatal care right now in helping women have healthy pregnancies.
0: So, wow, I totally can relate to that. I totally can relate to that. Um, How can friends, families, partners... Be supportive of somebody going through infertility or pregnancy loss. Any good tips for people who want to be helpful? Yeah, I think
1: we started with one, right? Don't say anything with "just" in it, or at least yes. <laughs> let's start there. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, try your best not to solve the problem because there. I can at least speak for myself and a lot of my clients. We're not looking for solutions. We're looking for support and And there's sometimes there is no solution and And we really just have to sit with the realities of what we are going through. And so, listening more than talking, keeping your ears open and really addressing uh, the the need to fix often comes from our own discomfort with hearing somebody else's stories. And so really being mindful of, am I being helpful to this person or am I trying to make myself feel better? And I realize that can sound really harsh, but that's often why we do it. We try to end a conversation. We try to offer solutions because it's uncomfortable for us hearing our loved ones in so much pain. And the reality is what they need is for you to be present and to be open-hearted, open-armed, really open to what it is that they need at that time maybe it's I need a break from conversation sure maybe it's hey entertain me with something random going on in the world sure maybe it's hey let me tell you what really happened that day and allow for that to be possible and if you can't it's totally okay to say that it's totally okay to be honest with yourself and be honest with your loved one and say, this is how I can help. And somehow conveying in a really honest and supportive way, this is really hard for me to hear.
0: Yeah, I love that. I can, I, I just want to echo what you said with some people are just not looking for solutions. They're looking for support. You know, and it really is true. I think the discomfort comes up for people when their experience only goes so far, you know, and they're trying to like, the wheels are turning and they're trying to say the right thing and it ends up being very triggering. And, you know, it's, it, it really can, I I like that. I think it's like just sometimes people just need somebody to listen to them, a witness yeah, you know
1: exactly, exactly.
0: um, what makes your blood boil about the world of family pl- family building?
1: I think it is so much of uh, what I shared earlier is the expectation that the outcome erases the pain to get there. If I had to put it very succinctly, I think that's what it is. We cannot look at the the end result and say okay well everything else is gone it's better now right it's over now right it's not and that's not to say we can't heal certainly that's not at all what I'm trying to say but it's that the entire journey is valid all the ups and downs all the heartbreak all the wonderful moments they can all coexist and I think tied to that is um this expectation that you cannot be grateful and grieving at the same time. That drives me nuts. Those two coexist. Our The human experience and the fertility experience and pregnancy experience is so complex. We cannot simplify it that much. We are absolutely capable of feeling both of those equally intensely at the same time. And I think the the last piece that I'll say about that is that stress traumatic stress grief causes infertility or pregnancy complications and what you'll that that is not true it does not cause them <laughs> no
0: god all. it makes me crazy when i hear that
1: and and when i hear exactly when i hear that and when i hear the opposite of people going no there's no place the, the stress has nothing to do with this that's also wrong we as humans, again, biologically, are far too complex to say one thing does or does not affect it. What we do know is that, like I described, it's the stress is not an event. It is not a thought. It is a physiological chain reaction that happens for any number of reasons. And the endocrine and the immune changes that happen because of that do play a role. Does it cause infertility? No, of course not. But very little do we know that actually causes directly infertility. They're all pieces of a big puzzle. And I hate that we expect women to be okay with an incomplete puzzle because we're uncomfortable talking about some of those pieces. So those are kind of my big ones. <laughs> Just I, love so angry. <laughs>
0: I love it. I love it. Um, anything you wish you knew before you got into this industry?
1: Oh gosh, so much. So much. Um, I wish I knew that a baby in the arms at home does not erase what I've been through. Not in, not just in the invalidation way or the validation way, but also just emotionally emotionally it doesn't just get better. It's not over because the events are over. And I I remember there was a day in the NICU. We had been in the NICU for months. And by, we were getting close to his due date, and I was just over it. I was like, I don't even care what's happening. I'm just going to take him and I'm going to run and I'll deal with the rest later. And, and I know a lot of NICU moms feel that way. I know a lot of, even after infertility, when we're in pregnancy, we often feel that way. Like when we shift to the next phase, we go, okay, it's just going to be over and it's going to feel great. And in some ways, yes, having him home was wonderful. And it also came as such a shock when I'm like, why am I not elated all the time? Why am I not so excited all the time? Because that was the expectation And so for anyone who's listening to this and feeling that way, I really want to hit home. It's not you. You're not ungrateful. You're not being too negative. You have been through so much. And it's not an on-off switch just because baby comes home.
0: Yeah, I think that's so great. I really appreciate that sentiment. Any advice for anyone listening to this show and going through infertility and loss?
1: I would say continue to trust your body. Your body knows what you need. If it's to tune everything out and take a day to sleep, go ahead and do that. If it's, I need to call everybody I know and have a Zoom party because I just need to feel connected, go ahead and do that. Nobody knows your body like you do. There's not a single medical provider not a single expert or professional anywhere on this planet that knows your body better than you do. Trust that, lead with that, and make sure there's a place on your prenatal care team for that voice because it is essential.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Well, how can people find you and connect with you and hear more about what, hear more wisdom from you?
1: Oh, you're so sweet. Um, yeah, I uh, you can find me on my website at barijatdeshpande.com is my full name.com. I also tend to hang out on Instagram, so you can follow me at healthy.highriskpregnancy. And what I love is when people listen to these episodes and then um, take a screenshot and tag me and tag Millie and let us know what your biggest takeaway was. I love, love, love seeing that. So definitely do that and let us know what you're taking away from this episode.
0: Love it. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh my gosh, this was such a treat.
1: Thank you. Truly.
0: Yeah. All right. We will be in touch.
1: Sounds great. Thanks so much. Ciao.